morning. This week's parsha is Parshas Vayechi. And as this is an officially a Nachshir, Nach and Medrashim, there are probably more Nach personalities mentioned in this week's parsha. If you learn this week's parsha with Rashi and you read the Haftarah, we learn about more personalities than probably maybe more than any other Sedra or very much a lot of Nach personalities, which I'd like to go through at least 24 plus a lot of group personalities, etc. Now, what I would like to do is, first of all, go through all the personalities as to how they connect to the Parsha. And then if we have time, we will discuss different Midrashim and different things about each of these people. Now, David HaMelech is the first one, and he is mentioned a few times in this week's Parsha. The first time he's mentioned, which is in Perak Mem Zion in chapter 47, is where it says, if anybody has a Chumash and you want to find this in the Chumash right at the beginning, the second Pasuk of the Parsha, it says, Vayikravu, Yemei Yisrael, Lomus Yaakov's days came close to die. And Rashi tells us that these words, Vayikravu, Lomus, and his days came close to die, means he lived less than his father. And we say that Yaakov lived 147, Yitzchak lived 180. Similarly, by David, we have the word by Yikrivu, Yemei David Lomus, which we have in the Haftarah. His father lived, and there's two versions in Rashi. My Rashi says, Avivchai Arba Meis Shana, his father Yishai lived 400 years. Vahu Chai Shivim, and he lived 70 years. Just to mention something about David's father Yishai. David's father Yishai is one of the four people, the Gemara says, there's four people who only died because of the the sin of eating from the tree of knowledge. Otherwise, they never did any sins. Yishai also is mentioned in the Gemara in Yevamis that he was that he had 600,000 followers. Yishai was a great Torah teacher and had 600,000 followers. And we have Yishai's son is David HaMelech, just to mention about the relationship between Yishai and David, that it was a bit strained. The reason is because uh, David did not resemble the other members of his family. And there was a question on David's lineage and the, the brothers, David was rejected by the family. It's a long story, it's a, have to go through a separate shear as to why. He also had dreams about becoming king. David was rejected. When Shmuel came to David's house and anointed him, and Yishai introduced seven of his sons, and he said, Shmuel came to anoint a king amongst Yishai's sons, and uh, he tried this one, he tried this one, and the, well, Hashem said, no, this is the wrong one. And that's it. Yishai introduced all seven of his sons. Finally, Shmuel Hanavi asked him, don't you have any more children? No. Finally, he thinks, think hard, maybe you have another son. He brought David. He didn't, they thought David was a total reject. And they brought David and the oil went quickly on David. And at that point, uh, we have, there's a Gemara in Psachim Dav Kufyu test, which says that the entire end of Hallel, which Hashem ki anisoni, that Hashem you answered me is what David HaMelech said on that day, because after 28 years of being rejected by his family, he was suddenly chosen to be the king of Israel. And that's when all the brothers say, Evan, the stone that all the builders rejected, became the cornerstone. And then they say, this came from Hashem. It's amazing. Anyway, if we have time, maybe we'll go through more on that medrash at the end, but I want to go through the other personalities of the parasha. Now, Eliyahu Hanavi is mentioned in this week's parasha. Why does Eliyahu Hanavi get a mention? Eliyahu Hanavi gets a mention when we have uh, in Pasuk Lamed Aleph, um, actually, um, just to see, correct, uh, yep, Eliyahu Hanavi gets mentioned over, uh, sorry, Pasuk Beis, Perek Memches Pasuk Beis, when it says, by, when Yosef comes into Yaakov, and it says, Vayishazek Yisrael Vayeshev Alamita, Yaakov strengthened himself, he took great effort to sit up on the bed, and Rashi says that Yaakov says, even though Yosef is my son, Melechu, he is a king. I'm going to give him respect. From here we learn you have to give respect to the king, even if the, the person who's giving respect is greater. And we have Moshe gave respect to King Pari. 
And then we have Elio Hanavi gave respect to King Ahab. Elio Hanavi was a great tzaddik. And King Ahab was the most rotten of all the kings, as we're soon going to mention him in personality number seven. We're getting to King Ahab. And yet, uh, when there was the showdown of Elio Hanavi and the prophets of the Baal, and all the prophets of the Baal were killed during that story by Elio Bahara Karma, and King Ahab was left all by himself. So Elio Hanavi ran before the chariot of King Ahab. Because from here we learn that if somebody is a king, we have to give respect to the king, even if the king is not deserving. Such as uh, we have that Yaakov is greater than Yosef, and Moshe Rabbeinu gave respect to Pari, even though Moshe is greater than Pari, and Eliyahu gave respect to King Ahab. Now the next one is Nebuzaradon. Nebuzaradon is a Babylonian general, the Babylonian general of King Nebuchadnezzar, who exiled the Jewish people. How does Nebuzaradon get into this week's parsha? He gets into this week's parsha. We have over here, uh, Yaakov wants Yosef to bury him. He asks Yosef to swear to him that he's going to bury him. He, when he dies, he's going to carry him. He's not going to bury him in Mitzrayim. He's going to carry him to Eretz Yisrael. Actually, just to mention that Rashi gives three reasons why Yaakov doesn't want to be buried in Mitzrayim. Rashi says three reasons. Uh, number one, Egypt is going to become lice and the lice will crawl under my body. The dead of outside Israel for them to come back to life have to roll through tunnels. If anybody gets buried in Australia, you got to have a big journey because the resurrection of the dead only takes place in Israel. If you get buried outside Israel, you got to roll through tunnels, which according to this Rashi has Sarah Gilgal Mechilis. There's pain of rolling through tunnels. And um, which is why Yaakov doesn't want to be buried. And also Yaakov's afraid that the people of Egypt will make him into an idol. So Yaakov asks Yosef to bury him in, to take his bones and bury him in, uh, to take his body and bury it in, in Maras Machpelah together with Avraham and Yitzchak, Avraham and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka. Now, Yaakov says to Yosef that I know that your mother died, your mother Rachel died, and I buried her on the road on the way to Beis Lechem. Akivna said it's a short uh, measure of land before Ephras. I didn't even bring her into the city of Ephras, Beis Lechem. So you should know that the reason I buried Rachel along the road, Rashi says, it was based on the word of Hashem that Rachel will help her children. When Nebuzar Adon, who was the Babylonian general, will exile the Jewish people, and they would pass Rachel's grave, Yotzes Rachel al Kivra. Rachel comes out on her grave, and she cries, and she begs mercy for the Jewish people, as it says, nishma. Voice is heard up high. Rachel mevako al boneho. Rachel is crying for her children. And Hashem Ba'kadosh Baruch Hu Meshiva, Hashem answers Rachel, Yesh Sachar Lipu Ulasech. There is reward for your efforts, and Veshavu Bonim Ligvulam. The children will come back to their boundary. All the Jews will come back to Israel. So that's why, first of all, number five, I have Rachel, even though Rachel is a Chumash personality, but Rashi here mentions Rachel as a Nach personality. Rachel crying for the exiles as they are passing her grave and her prayers achieve our success in Golas today is all because of the prayers of the Mamer Rachel, the Rachel, and, um, and Nebuzar Adon is the Babylonian general who exiled them. Now, generally, this Nebuzar Adon was a very cruel person. He's actually referred to as Nebuzar Adon, Rav Tabachim, the chief executioner. Yet, amazingly, that this Nebuzar Adon who was a terrible person, somehow regretted the whole thing and wanted to do teshuva, and he actually converted and became Jewish, which is quite amazing that somebody like Nebuzar Adon, who had so much blood on his hands, was accepted and became Jewish. Now, the next Nach personality who I put as number six is Yerovam, and number seven is Achav. Now, why are Yerovam... Yeravam is the king of the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Achav is of all the kings of the northern kingdom. He's the worst of them. And Yehu is another king of the northern kingdom. And why are they mentioned? It says when Yaakov introduces, Yosef brings his two, his two sons, 
to see Yaakov before he dies. And it says in Pasuches, Vayara Yisrael is B'nai Yosef, and Yaakov sees the sons of Yosef, Vayoymer, and he says, Mi Eila, who are these? And what do you mean, who are these? Yaakov knew Yosef's sons. He had been living in Mitzrayim already for 17 years. He knew Yosef's sons very well. Ephraim, we had a Rashi that says, Yosef's son Ephraim regularly had a, a shear in Gemara. It says, we had a Pasuk earlier that says, that if there was a Rashi earlier that mentions that Ephraim Shaimrim, Ephraim Ephraim learned Gemara with Yaakov regularly, which is also an interesting thing. That if Yaakov and Ephraim are learning Gemara, the Gemara wasn't written until thousands of years later. But before the Gemara was written, they were learning it orally. And Yaakov had a Gemara shear with Ephraim at one of the Archikala Shirim. Rabbi Mervis mentioned that Menashe was more a communal communal worker, and Ephraim was more into learning. So in any case, when Yosef Yose, brings the son, his two sons in before, what does it say again in the Pasuk? It says that uh, Yosef takes his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, and Rashi says, Yosef should bless them before he dies, and Yosef wants to bless them so Rashi Ches says, Vayar Yisrael is B'nei Yosef. He sees the B'nei Yosef and he says, Mi'ela, who are these? What does it mean, who, Mi'ela, who are these? Rashi says, Rashi Ches, Perek Mem Ches, Pasek Ches. Rashi says, B'kesh Levorcham. Yaakov wanted to bless Ephraim and Menashe. B'nistalko Shechina Mimenu. The Shechina left him. He was unable to bless them. Why was he unable to bless them? So because there will be rotten people coming from Ephraim and rotten people coming from Menashe. Lefisha Asid, Yeravam, Ve'achav, so Yeravam, who's our number six on the list, and Achav, who's number seven on the list, will be descendants of Ephraim. The Yehu Ubanov and King Yehu was another king of the northern kingdom, and his sons who also did uh, serve the idols, and they will come from Menashe. So he says, Vayomer Mi'ela, Yaakov says, who are these guys? Rashi says, where'd you get these descendants? How does it come that from you, Yosef, such a tzaddik, you have descendants like uh, Yeravam and Achav and Yehu, and Yosef answers in Pasuk Tes, Yosef they are my children, and Hashem gave me with this. And Rashi says the word Yosef shows Yaakov a document of Edison, Bithroel and Ksuba, and then Yosef Bikish Rachamim, he asks for mercy. And the Ruach HaKodesh comes back to Yaakov, and Yaakov is able to bless Yosef, despite the fact, Yosef's sons of Ephraim and Menashe, despite the fact that from Ephraim will come these two terrible people, Yerobam and Achov, who are both listed amongst these seven people in Perek Chelek that have lost their Olam Haba. And from uh, Menashe will come Yehu Uban of Yehu and his sons. Okay, now. While we're at it, just to briefly mention who are Yeravam, uh, more details. Yeravam was actually, was, as mentioned from Shevet Ephraim, he was in the days of Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo HaMelech saw him as an amazing person and he put him in charge of the taxes for the entire Shevet Yosef. Then Yeravam was a very learned person, a very capable person. And when Shlomo did uh, wrong things, Yeravam ben Nevat was the one who went and rebuked Shlomoi. He rebuked Shlomoi over the fact that uh, David, when he set up Yerushalayim, set up that there should be big openings, that it should be as easy as possible for Jews to come to the Beis HaMikdash. Shlomoi closed it off and that there was a place that coming to Yerushalayim, you had a, there was a tax place. He narrowed the road and you had to go through a place to pay tax and Yeravam rebukes Shlomo and he says that David, your father, wanted to encourage people to go to the base of Mikdash. And you closed it off. And why did you close it off? To collect money for your wife, Bas Paroi. Shlomo had many, many wives. They're most rotten. A lot of, most of them generally weren't too good. And it says the most rotten of all Shlomo's wives was Basia Bas Paroi. He gave her a name, Basia, the daughter of God, because there had been another daughter of Paroi who had converted in the, um, the one who helped, who found Moshe Rabbeinu. And she was a very righteous woman. And she actually 
converted and became Jewish and is mentioned as one of the people who went into Gan Eden alive. So Shlomi married a daughter of Paroi. He named her Basia, but she actually didn't live up to that name because she served the idols and she tried hard. She stopped. She caused Shlomi to come late for the dedication of the Beis Hamikdash because the marriage with Bas Paroi was the night before the dedication of the Beis Hamikdash. But anyway, so Yeravam says, you made these taxes. You're more interested, more than you're interested in, in um, encouraging the Jewish people. You're interested in uh, collecting taxes to support your baspada, your wicked wife. In any case, so the, it actually says in the Midrashim that Yeravam, on one hand, he had a merit that he rebuked Shlomi, but he had a, a punishment for rebuking him publicly. Now this Yeravam, who rebuked Shlomi later, he became... When the Jews turned away, the Jews nominated Yeravam as the king of the ten tribes when they rebelled. Yeravam, however, was concerned that uh, because when they divided between ten tribes and two tribes, Yehuda and Binyamin were the southern kingdom and the ten tribes who chose Yeravam. By the way, I should mention that the Novi Achia Hashiloini found Yeravam and he anointed him as king. He ripped the garments into 12 and gave Yeravam 10 pieces. And he said that it's for the 10 tribes will be given. But unfortunately, Yeravam made a calculation. He said that the Jews are going to go to the Beis Hamikdash. And in the Beis Hamikdash, King Rechavam, who is the son of Shlomo, will be allowed to sit. And I will have to stand because only kings who are descendants of David can sit in the Beis Hamikdash. Also, when Hakel will come, which is the Sukkot after the seventh year, and there's a mitzvah for the king to read the Torah, so King Rechavam, who was the son of Shlomo, from descendant of David, will be reading the Torah, and I'll be standing like a plain person. And therefore, Yeravim decided that he wasn't going to let the Jews go to Yerushalayim. And he put up guards on the roads to stop the Jews from going to Yerushalayim. And he also made two golden calves. And he said, he said, instead of going to the Beis Hamikdash in Yerushalayim, we will serve Hashem through going to these golden calves. It wasn't intended as idol worship. It was intended as a method of serving Hashem. Yeravam also changed the yomtiv, the yomtiv of Sukkot, which is the ten, which is on the 15th of Tishrei, and Yeravam rescheduled it for the 15th of Cheshman, and he made a big celebration. And just at that moment on the 15th of Cheshman, as Yeravam was about to make a ketodes for his Mizbeach uh, uh, that he put up in Beiskel, which he specifically put up the Mizbeach in Beiskel, which was a holy city, because that's where Hashem had appeared to Yaakov, and the Novi, Idoi Hanavi, came and tells, instead of addressing Yeravim, he addresses Mizbeach, Mizbeach. So Hashem said, there's going to be a King Yeshio who's going to dis- the, 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 rip out the graves of all the Kayane uh, Habamai, saw the Kayanim of the idol worship, and they will also burn the bones of Yeravam on the Mizbeach. And Yeravam sees, the, hears this, and he says, Tifsu, arrest him. And he stretches out his hand. And as Yeravam stretches out his hand, his hand freezes. And he asks Edoi Hanavi to please David on his behalf, which Edoi does. And then his hand comes back to him. But Yeravam, after the whole story, continued to do idol worship. And he is mentioned in Pirkei Yavah. He says, Kol Hamachati es Horabim. Anyone who causes the public to sin, we don't give him an opportunity to do teshuva. And we say that Yeravam sinned and made the public to sin. And Yeravam is mentioned as the the one who sinned and caused the public to sin. Achav is another interesting personality. It says about the various kings of... Now Yeravam, even though he set up golden calves, the goal was to serve Hashem through the golden calves. Achav and his father Omri, they introduced idolatry in Eretz Yisrael. Omri, it says, Achav's father Omri was mo- mo- the most rotten of all the kings before him. By and Achav was even worse than Omri. And Achav married this wife, Izebel, who was a terrible woman. And she is the one who got him to kill out all the prophets, all the Nevi'im. And... Achav is considered the worst king, yet at the same time that Achav is considered the worst king, Achav had certain times of uh, good, of doing positive things as well. 
there was a certain point of an amazing just to find the good in each person. Afa, there was a time that there was a war and it was a hopeless situation and he had a war with Aram and the king of Aram said, the only way we'll make peace is if you give me all your gold and silver, your wives and your children. And Afa was so desperate, he was ready to accept these terms. And then he goes on to tell him that I need also the most beloved thing. What's the most beloved thing? If you're ready to give away your gold and silver, your wives and children, what else is there that a person loves? So the uh, Medrash and Rashi quotes it as a Sefer Torah. And Ahab gets together with the elders and the elders were not elders of religious people because all the Nevi'im were either killed or in hiding, but they were the Nevi'i Habal, they were the uh, prophets of the Baal. And he asked them, should I give the Sefer Torah to the king of Aram, and they said under no circumstance, and Ahab was ready to risk his life in war, not to give away a Sefer Torah, and then Michoyo ben Yimla the Novi approaches Ahab and says, because you had Mesidus Nefesh, you'll win this war, it's a whole story, we're not going to go through right now. Now, so Ahab is also one of these wicked people who came from Ephraim, and he's one of the seven people mentioned in uh, Sanhedrin, the 11th Perek, Perek Chaylek, that lost his Olam Haba. Now, Yehu. Yehu is quite an interesting personality. Yehu was actually uh, anointed by Yoina Hanavi. This is the famous Yoina from Mafter Yoina, the Yoina who was swallowed by the whale and spit out. We read about him on Yom Kippur. Yoina was actually a student of the Navi Elisha. And Elisha told Yoina to go to, there was a war going on at that time, and he should go to them to the place where the war was, and he should anoint, he should call Yehu out from all, he was one of the, the general, and he was the other officers, and call him out, and pour oil on his head, and uh, tell him that Hashem nominated you as the king of Israel, and right away, run for your life, because, which Yoina does that, and Yoina anoints Yehu as a king in the name of Elisha, and the uh, other officers ask Yehu, what did Yaina tell you? And he says, you know this man, he's a Michigan. And I guess it says, uh, said they called a Navi a Meshuggah because a Navi was different to the average person. Anyway, they wanted and they insisted. And finally, Yehu tells him that he anointed me as the king and he gave me a job to kill out the whole family of Achav. And uh, with the whole story in Tanakh of the rebellion that Yehu made. And Yehu initially was good. And he killed out all the Yehu the Habal and he did what Hashem wanted together with but later Yehu turned away against Hashem. And yes, he didn't serve idols, but he continued with the Egle Hazav, with the golden calves of Yeruvim, and he continued not to let Jewish people go to Yerushalayim. And his Yehu, however, was promised four generations of kings, and four generations of Yehu's descendants were kings. But Yehu and his descendants, even though they did a lot of good things, they still encouraged the golden calves, and they also did not let Jews go to Yerushalayim, which is why he's mentioned. Now we have later in the Sedra, we have Gidoin. Why do we give Gidoin a mention? We have this still in Perek Memches, when we have the blessing that Yaakov gives to Ephraim and Menashe, Yosef brings his two sons and asks Yaakov to bless them, and Yaakov puts Menashe on Yosef's Menashe on Yosef's right and Ephraim on Yosef's left because he feels the main blessing should go to Menashe, the oldest, and Yaakov crosses his hands and puts his right hand on Ephraim, and Yosef tells him, no, my father, you got it wrong. Menashe is the oldest, and Yaakov says, I know Menashe is the oldest, and he'll be a great man. However, his younger brother will be greater. And his children will fill the nation. So Rashi says, Rashi over there says, Rashi Yutes, Yodati bini Yodati, I know my son says Yaakov, I know Menashe is older. And Gam hu Menashe will be a nation, he'll be great. Sha'asid Gidoin lotsis Mimeno, there'll be a judge, Gidoin will come from Menashe. Sha'akadish Baruch Hu, Aisa Nes Al Yodai, Hashem is going to make amazing miracles through Gidoin. Gidoin, first of all, there was a the Malach came and there was a whole story of bringing a fire out of the rock. And then there's the, um, he was given a number of signs. He wanted to know that he, the, the, the Malach promised him, told him that he should raise an army 
and fight against Midian and he wanted to have a sign and there was one sign that the, the wool would be moist and everything else will be dry and the other that everything else will be uh, uh, moist and the wool will be dry. And then later Gideon gathered 32,000 soldiers and he's told there's too many. So uh, 22,000, he encouraged whoever wants should leave, whoever's, whoever's afraid should leave. So 22,000 left and 10,000 stayed. And the Malach tells him, this is still, uh, this is still too many. And then he takes them to the water and sees how they drink water. And most of them kneel and 300 of them don't kneel because he, and the Malach tells him, or the Malach says that all these have kneeled to the bow and you should fight the Midian only with these 300 soldiers. And he fights Midian with these 300 soldiers and Gideon has an amazing victory. So Gideon is mentioned as Menashe will be great. Then, however, it says, the younger brother Ephraim will be greater. And his children will fill the nations. And Rashi, sorry. My apology. Rashi tells us that Rashi tells us that um, Yeshua will come from Ephraim. Yeshua will be the leader of the Jewish people after Moshe, and he will distribute the inheritance of Eretz Yisrael. He will distribute Eretz Yisrael to the Jewish people. And also, Vizaro Hagoyim Yeshua will be the most popular amongst the nations. How did Yeshua get world famous? When Yeshua stops the sun, Rashi says, when Yeshua stops the sun and Yeshua says, Shemesh sun stop in giving and the moon which that happened on Friday, the third of Tammuz, when Yeshua was having a war to defend the Givainim, and he stopped the sun. And this was the most famous of all miracles. Now, actually, in a previous year that we've given, we mentioned that there's about 15 or so incidents of people who adjusted the sun, the movement of the sun. Yet it says in Tanakh that the incident of Yeshua was greater than all of them. It never happened a day like this before or after. What's, how is the Yeshua stopping the sun greater than all the others? So the difference is all the others, let's just take as an example. When Yaakov sleeps by Haramiriya and Hashem makes Kivo um, Hashem, the sun set early, uh, to make Yaakov sleep there. So good, the sun set early before schedule, but it wasn't obvious why it happened. It just happened that the sun set. But here Yeshua publicly, he's in front of a whole group and he says, Shemesh be giving, doing sun stop in giving, moon stop in the valley of Ayolim. And somehow that occurs, which is absolutely amazing that he addresses the sun in front of thousands of people and the sun obeys. Uh, which actually it's mentioned that of the incidents of uh, the unusual movements, uh, one second, why specifically did Yeshua need this miracle on Friday, Gimel Thomas of stopping the sun? Why couldn't Alpidin, Pikuach Nefesh, if you're in a war, you're allowed to fight on Shabbos, the Yom Kippur war. And we fought on Yom Kippur, so why couldn't you fight on Shabbos? So it's mentioned that war, you're allowed to fight on Shabbos if it's defend the Jewish people. That war was not to defend the Jewish people. That war was to defend the Givainim. Who were these Givainim? They were a group of uh, non-Jews of Canaanim who came and tricked Yeshua, told him we come from far away. They were really from close. And Yeshua made a treaty with them and he promised them that everything would be good. They would support them. And then they found out it was a trick. So the question is the status of these Givainim was very questionable. Was it a sincere conversion? Was it not a sincere conversion? Is it a valid conversion? Now, the din is you're allowed to desecrate Shabbos to save a Jewish life. But if they're not halakhically Jewish, you're not allowed to desecrate Shabbos to save their life. What is the status of these givainim? Very complicated. So therefore, the best solution. Now, before we, right now, there's a war going on. Who has time to deal with complicated halakha questions? So what's the best way to deal with the question? Let's put the sun and the moon on hold. 
Let's keep it on Friday till we win the war. Let's win the war on Friday. And Friday, for sure, you're allowed to fight. And then we'll deal with the halacha when we need to. Now, uh, later we have uh, Gidoin gets a mention again. Uh, first thing, before we get to Gidoin, you have Haman Amashoyer. Yaakov, when he says Shimon and Levi, and he says he doesn't want to be associated with descendants of Shimon and Levi, when they will do negative things. He doesn't, Shimon will have a descendant, Zimri ben Solu, who was from Chumash, who brought a Midyani girl before Meisha and asked him how to marry her. And if not, who gave you permission to marry Yisrael's daughter? And from Levi will come Kairach, who led a rebellion against Meisha and Abenu. So Yaakov does not want to be associated with the descendants of Shimon and Levi when they do negative things. But then Rashi mentions that Yaakov is very happy to be associated with Kairach's descendants in Dibrei Hayomim, there's a Pasuk by the lineage of Haman HaMashoyer where it mentions all the way his lineage up to through Kairach Ben Levi, Ben Kahas Ben Levi, Ben Yisrael and we have his lineage, so Yaakov is quite proud to be associated with the descendants of Kairach when they do good things, which this Haman HaMashoyer is one of the ten authors even though David HaMelech wrote most of Tehillim but there are 10 various authors of Tehillim and Haman HaMashoyer is one of the 10 authors of Tehillim. And this Haman HaMashoyer, quite amazingly, he's a grandson of Shmuel Hanavi. He is a, which by the way, from Kairach came a number of amazing people. First of all, Shmuel's father, Elkanah was a prophet. And then Shmuel Hanavi, who's equal to Meish and Aaron. Then Shmuel's son, Yoel, who initially wasn't the best. And then he became a Baal and then his son, Haman HaMashoyer, and this Haman HaMashoyer had 14 sons who were all tzaddikim and all had Ruach HaKadosh. And when they nominated leaders for the 40, 24 Mishmaris, the 24 groups of Levim, Haman's 14 sons were got, so 14 of those 24 positions were given to the 14 sons of Haman HaMashoyer because they were the greatest tzaddikim of all the Levim and they were also top singers with all Ruach HaKadosh. So Yaakov is very proud to be associated with Haman HaMashoyer and his descendants. Now, we have, when we say that Yaakov does not want to be associated with Shimon and Levi, and it says, Ki horgu ish, with their anger they killed a man, and that refers to Rashi says, this is Chamoyer of Anshei Shem, they killed Hamoir and the people of Shechem, and they are all they are all considered like one man. And similarly, it says by Gidoin, that you will strike Midion like one man. So that's where Gidoin gets a mention again in this week's parsha. Interesting to note on this that um, we're actually, the Rebbe asks in a Sicha that we're trying, we're actually rebuking Shimon and Levi for having killed the people of Shechem. So why are we quoting a Pasuk, which indicates that it'll be, that uh, Shimon and Levi killed the people of Shechem as easy, just like Gidon struck Midian with ease. And Actually, Shimon and Levi killing the people of Shechem, which was Yaakov rebukes him over, was not a totally negative thing because actually Shechem had uh, disgraced Dina, raped Dina, and the people of Shechem defended. Yaakov was only upset about the story of the killing of the people of Shechem because it endangered the Jewish people before the nations. And however, in essence, the fact that Shimon and Levi took action was not a negative thing. In fact, the halacha, that a Jewish boy becomes bar mitzvah, when he becomes 13, we learn from the Shimon and Levi's attack on Shechem, that it says, each man took his sword. And at that time, Shimon was 14 and Levi was 13. And the question is, why do we learn bar mitzvah from the story of Shimon and Levi killing Shechem if it was a negative thing? So therefore, even though the Rebbe explains that even though the thing itself was a negative thing, the fact that Shimon and Levi felt that they need to take action over 
Um, the, the, you need to take action because a Jewish girl was hurt. That is a positive thing. Okay, going on with the Nach personalities of this week's Sedra, we have later, we have, when we have Yehuda, it says, Gur Arya Yehuda. Yehuda is compared to a cub and to a lion. So it says over there, it refers to David HaMelech, that first he was a lion cub. First David was the general. David HaMelech was first the general of the army of King Shaul, and then David became the king. So Gur, a cub, refers to David as the general of King Shaul's army, and a lion refers to David when he becomes the king. Then he goes on to say, Gur Arya Yehuda Mitaref Bni Alisa, and we say, Kora Rovatz Ka'arye, he kneeled and lied down like a lion, and that refers to Ukhlovian, like an awesome lion, Mia Kimenu, who will dare arouse him, and that refers to the kingdom of Shlemo Yamelech, because in the time of David, it's like an awake lion, because everybody was frightened of David because of the wars. Shlemo is compared to a sleeping lion, a sleeping lion doesn't hurt anybody. Yet people are petrified. Shlomo Yamelech ruled for 40 years. The whole world was afraid of him and he never fought one war. They were frightened. He's like a sleeping lion that they're afraid of him and he never has to fight anything. Then we have a mention of Yechezkel. That's still in the prophecy of Yehuda where it says in Pasuk Yur Aleph, it says, So there's two meanings in Rashi. And one of the meanings in Rashi is, the second shot in Rashi, that he ties, Iroi is his city. And the Geffen, the Jewish people, are compared to a grapevine. And Moshiach will connect the Jewish people to Iroi, to his city of Yerushalayim. The Soireiko, Soireiko is a vine branch, again referring to the Jewish people. Bini, he will build Asoinai, the base Hamikdash. And why is the Beis Hamikdash called Asoinai? Because when we have the prophecy of Yechezkel, of the third Beis Hamikdash, it speaks about Shar Ho'isun, which Yechezkel saw in his vision of the third Beis Hamikdash. So Rashi explains the word B'ni Asoinai is building the Beis Hamikdash, including the Shar Ho'isun. Now we have where, Rashi, where there are 200 Roshay Sanhedrin Mishavet Yisachar, 200 heads of Sanhedrin who come, who descend from the tribe of Yisachar. Now, this is Rashi, this is connected to the blessing of Yisachar, where it says, Yisachar chamoir gorem, Yisachar is like a strong-boned donkey, reivets beina mishpesoyim, who lies between the borders, and Rashi explains that Yisachar carries a very heavy load, the yoke of Torah. They give a donkey a load, and just like a donkey, lies between the borders, is ready to sleep anywhere. The people of Yisachar are ready to sleep in the base medrash. They don't have any, they don't need any physical comforts. And then we go on to say, still concerning the blessing of Yisachar, we say, and he bent his shoulder to bear the yoke of Torah, and he became a tax worker. So Rashi explains a tax worker is that the tribe of Yisachar were expert rabbonim, they would pask in halachas of Torah. He quotes a pasuk in Divrei Hayomim, from the tribe of Yisachar, there were people who had deep knowledge, understanding for the times. They always knew how a Jew should act. They were always able to pask in Shailas. There were 200 leaders. And Rashi says, 200 heads of Sanhedrin came from the tribe of Yisachar. And all the other Jews would go by the guidance of the tribe of Yisachar. So this helps explain by Yeh Shechmei is that Yisachar had these 200 heads of Sanhedrin, heads of the high Jewish court. Now we have the blessing of Don, where it says, Yehi Don Nochosh Derech. Don is compared to a snake. So the snake that Don is compared to a snake is Shimshain is compared First of all, it says even earlier, Don will have a leader who is like the greatest of all the tribes, which refers to Shimshain, who as a warrior is similar to David HaMelech as a warrior, and Shimshain comes from the tribe of Don. He will unite all the Jewish people, and he'll be like the greatest of the Shvatim. He's compared to a snake, just like a snake bites the rider. 
It says in this week's parsha, the snake bites the heels of the horse and the rider falls down. Similarly, Shimshain grabbed the pillars of the building and tens of thousands of people on the roof of the building died when Shimshain grabbed the pillars. So he's compared to a snake. Now we have in the blessing of Naphtali, in the blessing of Naphtali, we say, Naphtali ayolo shlucha, Naphtali is a deer let loose, Hanoi sein imre shofer, that gives good words. So Rashi says, Naphtali ayolo shlucha refers to the Vaira and Barak come from the tribe of Naphtali. The Vaira was a prophetess, and Barak, she was told by the Vaira to gather an army of 10,000 people from Naphtali and Zivulun and chase General Sisra. General Sisra had been oppressing the Jewish people on behalf of Yavin Melech Canaan. They had been oppressing the Jewish people for 20 years. And it says by Sisra specifically that he uh, oppressed the Jewish people. Bechoska, Shashi says, Bigidufim, he would insult them, he would verbally abuse them. And the Veda and, and Barak and won a war in an amazing speed. There's an amazing war, which the, from the time that the Jewish people came to the Veda, in other words, they had problems for 20 years, but finally they came to the Veda for advice. And the Veda, that same day, it all happens in one day. The whole story of the Veda and Barak happens by Yoim Hahu on that day. The whole story from beginning to end takes place between sunrise and sunset. The Jewish people came to the Veda asking for help. The Veda sends a message to Barak to gather an army of 10,000 men. Barak gathers the army. Barak chases Sisra. He wins the war. Sisra is killed. The Veda and Barak, they sing the Shira, the famous Shiras, the Veda, Barak ben Avinayam, and they divide the spoils of war all on that day which it is mentioned in Medrash that this didn't all happen in a 12-hour day. But I mentioned before that there were some 15 unusual movements of the sun. And one of the unusual movements of the sun is that because Hashem wanted that Barak should win that whole war against Sisra in one day, so the day was extended until they finished the war. Going on now in the blessing of Shevet Binyamin, it says... Binyamin ze'ev yitra. Binyamin is like a wolf, a wolf that rips apart. So it says, Binyamin ze'ev yitra. He brings over here that this refers to that the tribe of Binyamin will be chatfonim. They will have to grab wives. There was a time by the story of Pilegesh Begiva when there was a woman who was killed in a terrible way, which I don't want to go through the details now. And the tribe of Binyamin defended the murderers. The Jewish wanted to punish the city of Giva who had been involved in this crime. And the tribe of Binyamin protected them. And at that time, there became a war between the tribe of Binyamin and the other tribes. And the tribe of Binyamin were basically killed out with the exception of 600 men. And the Jews then were so upset at Shevet Binyamin that they made an oath that nobody would let his daughter marry somebody from Shevet Binyamin. And then the Jews regretted the oath. Actually, uh, the oath eventually was removed, which is one of the reasons we celebrate on the 15th of love. But uh, the, they said that nobody would let his, the oath was nobody would allow his, would, would, uh, would give his daughter to a man from Shevet bin Yaman. But the people of Shevet bin Yaman had to grab wives on their own. So that's what it says. He's like a wolf that rips apart because the people of bin Yaman needed to grab wives by Pilegesh Begiva. Another explanation Rashi gives as to why Binyamin is called Ze'ev Yitrof because a wolf causes a lot of damage. And similarly, King Shaul, when he fought wars, uh, was similar to a wolf causing damage amongst his enemies. It also says there, Babaker Yechalad, that in the morning uh, he will eat his spoils, which the morning he will eat his spoils refers to. Um, Shaul, who's an early Jewish history, who brought the Jewish people many spoils of war, and I actually missed. And then it has Mordechai and Esther, is that Mordechai and Esther divided the house of Haman. That is the names of the Nach uh, personalities in the parsha with Rashi. Now in the Haftoyer, we have a number of Nach personalities. 
right by the death of David, he gives instructions to Shlemi, and he gives instructions specifically about the general Yoyev ben Sruya, which David was concerned, even though Yoyev had defended the Jewish people, Yoyev had twice, Yoyev, there were two people Yoyev killed without uh, David's permission, which was Avner ben Nero, had been the general of Shol, Hamasa had been the general of Avsholim, and he gave Dov, uh, Shlemi instructions as to how to deal with Yoyev. Then he also gave him instructions to reward Barzilei Hagilodi. Barzilei Hagilodi was a non-Jew who supported David and his men when they uh, when they were had a run away from Afsholim. Afsholim was a son of David who had rebelled against him, and David and his men fled Eretz Yisrael to the other side of the Jordan River, Jordan of today, and they were there for six months. And Barzilei Hagilodi was a Goy who supported David and his men during those six months, and therefore David asks Shlemi to do kindness to the sons of Barzilei Hagilodi. Barzilei Hagilodi, uh, because Bar- David wants to do kindness to Barzilei, Barzilei says, All the kindness you want to do to me, do to my son Kim Hom. There's actually an amazing palace which David builds for his son Kim Hom. And uh, by the story of Saint Gedalia, many Jews. Uh, stayed for a long time in that palace of Kimham, which was built by Shlemei for Kimham, the son of Barzilei Hagilodi. We also have that David gives instruction to Shlemei on how to deal with Shimi ben Geda. Shimi ben Geda is an interesting personality. He was a big Talmud Chacham. He was a relative of King Shaul. And when David was running away from Afsholim, Shimi ben Geda cursed David. And it says he cursed him a klolon nimretzes. And the word, I'll just spell out the word nimretzes. Uh, so you'll see how it's spelled. Uh, nimretzes. Nimretzes. Nimretzes is nun mem reish tzadik sof. And it actually mentions, the Gemara mentions on the word nimretzes, the nun of nimretzes. I'm going to try to write this out so it's easier to see it. The Nunim Nimretza stands for Noyev. That Shimi ben Geira said that David is a Noyev. He committed adultery. He accused David publicly of committing adultery. He said he is Mem is Mayovi. He's a descendant of Rusen. He's not a kosher Jew. Reish, he accuses David of being a Reitzeach, a murderer. Reitzeach, a murderer. Then we have a Nimretzes. Sadik, he accuses him of being soyred, a troublemaker, a person who caused trouble to the Jewish people. And the last is the Toph, which he says that Shimi ben Geira is, and Shimi ben Geira says that David is Toyeva. So again, Shimi ben Geira curses David, a klongo nimretzes, which the Gemara says, nimretzes nun mem reish tzadik sof, stands for noyef, adulterous, mayovi, he comes from Mayav. He can't marry the, the Jewish people. Reish, a murderer. Seirat, a troublemaker. Tough, Toyeva, a disgusting person. And um, when Shimi ben Geira gave this terrible curse, Avishai, who was David's nephew and one of his generals, asked David for permission to remove his head. He wanted to kill Shimi ben Geira on the spot. And David Amelech says, No, don't. Ki Hashem Omar Kalel. Hashem told him to curse me, which in Tanyan, he got us HaKadosh Simin Chafhei. The Altarebbe asks, Hashem never told Shimon ben Gaida to curse David. And the Altarebbe explains that Hashem, the urge, if a person has a negative urge, the negative urge that Shimon ben Gaida had to curse David came from uh, Hashem. And also uh, the fact that at that time he had the power of speech. If Hashem didn't want him to give the curse, he would have taken away his power of speech. So in any case, at that time, during the rebellion of Avshalim, David did not want him to be punished. After the rebellion, David, he came, Shimi ben Geda came with a thousand people to make peace with David, and David fought for the benefit of the Jewish people, again, not to punish Shimi ben Geda. So actually, David asked Shlemei later to deal with the punishment of Shimi ben Geda. He said, I promise not to punish him for what he did, but find another excuse. So Shlemei tells him to live in Yerushalayim and not leave Yerushalayim. And the day he leaves Yerushalayim, he will die. And Shimi ben Geda, two of his slaves, uh, left, uh, ran away to Gaza. And Shimi ben Geda went to Gaza, Gaza to get them. 
and then he left Yerushalayim, and for that he was punished. Um, it actually mentions, there's actually right after the, the death of Shimi ben Geda, it mentions that Shlemi married Bas Pare, and it actually says Shimi ben Geda had taught Shlemi Toida, and as long as Shimi ben Geda was around, Shlemi would never have married Bas Pare. So actually, the, uh, indirectly, the killing of Shimi ben Geda had a negative effect on um, the Jewish people because Shlemi married Bas Pare, which is a cause of a lot of problems. One more thing about Shimi ben Geda, Mordechai, from the famous story of Purim, it says, Ish Yehudi Hoya B'Shushan Abira, Ushmei Mordechai ben Yoir ben, ben Shimi ben Kish. Mordechai is a descendant of this Shimi ben Geda. Now, actually, it's mentioned one of the reasons Mordechai is called in the Megillah Ish Yehudi. Why is Mordechai called Ish Yehudi? So one of the many explanations is that Mordechai was saved by Dovin Amela, a person from Yehuda, because if Mordechai's great, great, great grandfather, Shimi ben Geda, would have been killed, Mordechai and Esther would never have existed. It's only because David delayed the punishment of Shimi ben Geda. That's why Mordechai and Esther existed and were around to save the Jewish people. And that's one of the reasons brought why Mordechai in the Megillah is called Ish Yehudi, because he was saved by a person from Yehuda. So in any case, we're ending on the note of Mordechai and Esther who saved the Jewish people. We're ending on the fact that David saved Mordechai and from David will come Mashiach and we will merit the coming of Mashiach. One more last point that this week is called Parsha Vayechi. Vayechi Yaakov. Yaakov lived. It seems to be about Yaakov dying. Okay, it says Yaakov Avinu. Leimais, Yaakov didn't die. Rashi tells us, Mazaroi Bachayim Afu Bachayim. When Yaakov's children are alive, he is alive, which means how is Yaakov alive when each of us, the fact that all of us are on a Zoom shear now studying Torah, the fact that we do mitzvahs, the fact that we go in the ways of Yaakov, that keeps Yaakov alive, and the keeping Yaakov alive will hasten the coming of Mashiach speedily in our days.